Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is our first podcast of 2023, so Happy New Year to you all. This is also the first podcast in a series looking at technical education and technical skills in advance of an event being run by the Foundation on the 22nd of February 2023. And my guest this week is Dr. Hilary Leavers, Chief Executive of Engineering UK. Dr. Leavers, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kevin. I'm really pleased to join you. So before we dive into uh, technical education, for those people who aren't so aware, can you give us just a brief pen picture of Engineering UK and what you do? Yeah, so Engineering UK is an organisation that works across the entire engineering and technology community and really in partnership on everything we're trying to do to inform and inspire the next generation of young people to go into engineering, tech and technician careers. And most of our work focuses on what you might call STEM inspiration or engineering and tech inspiration. Um, but we do a lot of research and analysis to give us the bedrock to build that on, to know what those future skills needs that we need to convey to young people are, and also what activities will make a difference to their choices. Um, but we also do some advocacy work to make sure that there's a really good education system. So we don't want everybody inspired to go into engineering and then actually have challenges with the educational pathways or the quality of the education that they would need to make that progression. And so that's a really important part of our work and actually an emphasis on vocational routes and the need to support new and established vocational routes is a key part of our new five-year strategy. Which leads us directly into talking about some of those routes and there's a big question really about technical education and apprenticeships and how would you describe the kind of current state of apprenticeships technical education in the UK? Yeah it's a good question I'm, I'm you know I want to say worrying without sounding horribly negative but we've put it there as a key area of work for us over the next five years and it wasn't there previously because we've seen the decline in apprenticeships we know how critically important growth in apprenticeships and the technical skills is going to be to meet our national ambitions and we're not seeing that happening naturally so actually we think there really needs to be some proactivity to make sure the vocational routes are functioning really well. That's the apprenticeship part. We also have a very exciting new opportunity with the rollout of T-levels, which is the post-16 qualification kind of runs alongside A-levels, but it's very new. It's being rolled out in a very committed way and actually making sure that we've got, the offer is large enough to absorb the students who want to take those pathways is an additional challenge. So I think there are, there are two elements to our concern. We see them you know, as, as a, such an important part of the educational ecosystem, but they need to be finessed and we need to make sure that they're bringing enough young people through. And what's the link between those two, between T-levels and apprenticeships? Do they run seamlessly one to the other or should they and they don't? I mean, what, what's the situation? Well, they're quite new. So two levels have only been up and running a few years. So the link on to apprenticeships is still being defined, but they are meant to be a pathway that primarily takes people on to further education or into employment. So you will be taught across, you know, the breadth of engineering and manufacturing T-levels, say, and you're including that a 45-day work placement. So you really are getting an authentic experience of the area. 
and it's taught in a very contextualized way as compared with if you were just taking a more theoretical physics and maths A-level pathway, as it were. And the aim was that this is a technical pathway, but with parity of esteem with A-levels. So people are actually also going across to undergraduates, but we would love to see the progression into apprenticeships. And there's some really interesting exploration around um, the people who have done T-levels are actually really nicely prepared for that apprenticeship route. And maybe some elements of it could be fast-tracked and such like. So we think it's a huge opportunity. We're fully supportive of it. But we're also a little wary about the delivery of those work placements. So by our estimates, we might need between 30 and 43 and a half thousand 45 day work placements for the T-level students coming through in the next few years. And we just don't think the employers are really set up to deliver that. Yes, I can see that's a major problem because then where do T-levels go if you can't complete them? So I was going to ask you about a couple of other things within the system. One of them is university technical colleges, UTCs, which are also fairly new. And presumably a lot of UTCs are actually delivering T-levels. Do you see the UTC system as working? Is it expanding? How's it going? Um, It is gently expanding. I'm a massive fan of UTCs. And whenever I go and visit one, I find it very inspiring. I love the very practical and contextualised way in which young people are taught in them. And actually, they they have to maintain really quite an academic pathway up until 16. And then it's more balanced academic and vocational pathways post 16. I think they've had, you know, it's been tough rolling them out. They've got a few challenges associated with them. And one is the transfer point into UTCs is at 14 years of age. And our school system isn't really set up to support that. The careers advice system isn't set up to support that. And local schools weren't particularly keen on giving up their most prized students into the local UTCs. Um, I think that has improved a lot with really building up feeder schools and strengthening those relationships, looking at different ways in which you could set up a UTC with slightly different age groups. So I think it is, I, I, I actually really like them. I would love to see a comprehensive evaluation of where we are with them now. They're really actually better established in the sector. And should we be really backing them as an area of growth? My hunch is yes, but we actually could do with a really good comprehensive analysis of that. Uh, yes, well, as soon as you see one, I haven't seen one, but do do let the foundation know. We'll certainly uh, advertise that when we when we get some information. One other thing that's just in terms of definitions, which kind of goes round, there are, seems to be different nuances to the word apprenticeship as to what it means in terms of length, what it means in terms of uh, level, and obviously there have been degree apprenticeships separate to apprenticeships. Is that breadth? helpful? Uh, Is it unhelpful? Can you talk us through it, what the different meanings of the word apprenticeship mean? Yeah, so you have um, the apprenticeship span from level two up to level seven. So you have the degree level apprenticeships and then you have apprenticeships beyond that. I do think the breadth is incredibly valuable and the introduction and success of degree apprenticeships in showing actually the level of educational value or steam that can be gained through not a traditional university academic route. I personally think it's incredibly important and something we should really support 
what's quite interesting is they're having different levels of success. So, you know, we're, uh, the concerns we have about apprenticeships relate to an overall decline in the apprenticeship uptake in our areas over the last 10 years or so. And although there was a slight increase last year, it doesn't really counterbalance the decline that occurred, say, since 2014. And this decline started before Brexit and before the pandemic, runs parallel with the levy, but I don't think it's as simple as the introduction of the levy. And you see that different levels are differently affected. So there's actually some really nice growth occurring in the higher level apprenticeships, and where we're seeing the challenge of the more entry level apprenticeships and the apprenticeships which are typically targeted at younger people. And I feel like the ability to bring young people into the workplace is, is always incredibly important for their own opportunities, um, actually for looking for a more diverse workforce. That's the way in which we're going to enable that diversity. And I would actually include age as a characteristic that relates to, you know, your creativity, your expertise, um, your ability to enhance innovation in an area, but also the young people who are coming through the education system now have really had an incredibly challenging and different experience from that which anyone's had, you know, for the decades before, and really trying to make sure that the offer works for them and the opportunities are given to them, I think, is critical. All of which brings us on to the new inquiry being launched by Engineering UK into apprenticeships and technical skills. Can you give us an introduction to that inquiry? I mean, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, and then what have you set up and how is the inquiry going to run? Yes, yeah, so we set it up with, um, we've been working really, really closely with Lord Willits, David Willits and uh, Lord Jim Knight. So we have crossbench peers supporting this work. They're both former um, education ministers, really supported and, and uh, really care about this area, as do we at Engineering UK. And what we wanted to examine is what's been driving that decline, because when we look at the data and when we talk to people working in industry or people working in colleges, we get quite different narratives. And we just wanted the opportunity to draw all that information together to understand the reasons behind the decline in engineering, manufacturing and technology, some technology, actually ICT is doing very well, uh, apprenticeships, and then the barriers that different groups of young people may experience accessing those apprenticeships. We know that we need to work harder on that, but really importantly, identify solutions. So we're not just wanting to point out all the problems and the challenges. We genuinely want to try and identify solutions, many of which may be to do with improving policy, but some of which may be for the wider community. And actually we did a report on T-levels last year following a massive survey with Make UK, and that helped us develop recommendations for government on how to improve the rollout of T-levels. But we've really taken some actions for ourselves away from that about awareness raising um, in employers and how to support them in the delivery of their work placements. And also, it's a really good time to be talking about this because there is a wider debate emerging around skills reform, including Sir Michael Barber's review. So we hope that our findings will feed into all of that thinking. Sounds like a massive piece of work. Oh. <laughs> yes, it is. I think so. We, um, we've got very excited by the interest that um, it has provoked. And please do, anybody who 
has something to say about this, get in touch with us. Um, and we are taking evidence up until the 27th of February, uh, but we've had some really great interest already. So we're, we're priming our research and policy team on how we're going to analyze it and bring it all together. Fantastic. And for anyone listening, we'll put a link up to the inquiry on the foundation website uh, where this podcast is linked. I just wanted to ask, you talked about barriers to engagement and different groups and so on. And I'm just, what thoughts do you have about engineering apprenticeships amongst, for example, women and people from ethnic minorities? And how is the inquiry going to sort of try and pull out some of that issues? Yeah, so we'll, I think we will get that from the evidence that they were asking specific questions around this. And we present a lot of data in the background to the inquiry so people can see what the trends are. The number of women taking engineering apprenticeships has increased. So it's up over 6% since 2014 which brings it up to 14%, but that is less than is employed in the sector as a whole at the moment. It's, you know, which is now grown to 16.5%, still a long way to go. And um, it's also less, there are fewer female apprenticeships proportionately than there are undergraduates as well. Um, and understanding why that might be, why does this route not quite appeal as much as undergraduate routes in, I think would be really important. There's, they fare better in ICT. Um, and similarly, actually, when you look at people from ethnic minority backgrounds, they, they um, fare much better in terms of we get a higher, a, a proportion that is much more in line with the population in terms of apprenticeship starts. And actually, I think it's more similar to undergraduate levels. It's particularly driven by people from Asian backgrounds. And again, that representation is particularly high in ICT. We also have seen improvements in the number of disabled people entering into apprenticeships. And that, again, isn't so far off the population norm, and particularly when you look at those who are working. Uh, but then there were some things that surprised me as well. Uh, that maybe those stats aren't so unexpected. I don't really understand why there's that difference in terms of women going into apprenticeships versus undergraduates. I'm thinking that would be really helpful. But I, I always presumed that apprenticeships would be more accessible for people from um, less wealthy backgrounds. But actually, they're still really quite underrepresented in the starter cohort. So understanding that. And then there's a, a really big um, variation in geography as well. And that's particularly around the awareness that young people have of apprenticeships as well as the start. So most of that increase has been driven by the Southeast and another uh, London and the Southeast, I think, and actually other areas of the country. So if you're thinking of all those different diverse characteristics and trying to make sure that everybody is included and has opportunities, there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. And I'm sure some of this will be driven about local industry, like the geographic things, um, but there are other challenges as well, which we still have to work hard to understand. Let me ask you about a slightly different take on this. I've certainly heard the argument that some other countries like Germany, like the Netherlands, for example, have a, a technical education route that's both better understood by the public at, at large and 
more respected, if I can use that word, than, than in the UK. I guess my first question is, is that is that true? But but secondly, what, what can we learn from those countries as we try and develop further apprenticeships and T-levels and other aspects of technical education? Yeah, so I think the academic and vocational routes have got greater parity of esteem. That's what we understand. That's what that narrative and what is said about those countries. And that will be very impactful and perhaps a little bit more mobility between the two lines. I also think the apprenticeship setup is slightly different. And um, there were some really interesting discussions or analyses I heard about this, you know, quite a few years ago, but actually looking at the different length of apprenticeships and how that encourages employers to invest in them as a route. And actually, it's the point at which you start getting really good value back from someone who is an apprentice. And we may we may call that a bit earlier because we have shorter term apprenticeships. So that may be one of the drivers for why employers don't invest in them quite as much as they do in other countries. I think the esteem thing is really interesting. And we know that we need to do more to ensure that all young people across the UK do have a good understanding about apprenticeships. And, you know, the Baker Clause is a requirement that is now placed on schools to make sure that they enable local FE colleges and such like to have and UTCs to be able to talk to their students and show them alternative routes, which often means taking the students from a school into another sector. I think that's improving and that awareness is improving. So that's really positive. But also, I think when our data suggests that teachers and parents are actually more positive about apprenticeships than I think, again, I would have assumed. And I came through a university pathway myself. I do mix with many people who've come up through apprenticeship routes. But I think that the people who tend to have the conversations about them not being held in enough esteem tend to be people who come through a university route. <laughs> so actually, when you survey the population as a whole, that esteem issue may not be as significant as someone who's come through a university route may perceive it to be. So I want to uh, sort of come towards the end, but ask you about the two major roles in this that we haven't really talked about. We've touched on a little bit. Uh, one of them is the role of government and one of them is the role of industry themselves. In terms of government, do you think we have the right structure for government support and intervention in these things? And do we have the right level or or, or is there some fundamental thing that needs to change here? So I don't want to preclude our recommendations. I'm now thinking back on all the things I've said so far and whether I sound like we're going into this with um, all the answers, which we're absolutely not. You know, we're really interested to explore the levy and the funding that's available. We're also, you know, I also wonder about actually the salary rates or the training rates that young people get. They would be very hard to manage on and they really, I don't think it's feasible without a lot of additional support. So I think there's another aspect there that might need a little bit more exploration. In terms of the other bits that government needs to do, actually, I, what I would really love to see, and I think we urgently need, is a comprehensive skills plan. So we have these huge government ambitions and, you know, over the years, all the different announcements we've had around industrial strategy and investment in infrastructure and building back better. And, you know, the one that sticks and we hope 
is going to keep sticking are the commitments around decarbonisation and net skills, but and you know looking at resilient energy supply, all of the really big challenges that need to be addressed, and they all have huge skills implications, and we do have various estimates of skills needs, but we don't have a plan for how we are going to actually make sure that that workforce is there and some really comprehensive analysis looking at actually you know projecting how many numbers we would need coming through different aspects of the system to get that planning really firmly in place and then we know what the targets are and what the incentives have to achieve as it were um, and I think that is a, a huge piece of work but one that absolutely government should be prioritizing and that would also show you know the commitment to longer term planning and that's what we hear a lot from businesses there's still a lot of shifting and changing and they really want a very stable system to be operating and doing their own skills planning within so the more certainty they have about you know where um, there is going to be government support for investment in particular areas or training routes really helps them to develop that consistency and their long-term commitments. Is that everything that you asked in that question? I feel it was multi-layered. <laughs> no, that was it. But I was then going to follow up with the industry side. And you were talking oh, just yeah. then about yeah. what industry would hope to get from government. But I, I guess the blunt question is, are industry up for this? Uh, yeah. that's that's really what I'm, I'm interested in. Yeah, it's a key question. And I think we'll learn a lot about that from our inquiry. The, uh, we have corporate members at Engineering UK and they are all very supportive of young people, but by definition, because they have chosen to join Engineering UK. So they obviously really care about the skills development and investing in young people and such like um, getting a wider slice of perspectives and understanding more about the organizations who aren't really able to commit the challenges the barriers that they experience i think will be really helpful to our thinking um, we do see an immense level of commitment but also you know there were some very real challenges around the pandemic and the disappointment that organizations had in the challenges they had and the, the you know the very reduced offer they were able to make to young people in that time really hope that industry can be supported encouraged motivated celebrated to give more to these training routes we are entirely dependent on them for them to be successful right so actually working out how we can work alongside them to enable that is really important and we're also doing um, a piece of work separate piece of work but they kind of overlap looking at SMEs and the challenges that SMEs have to working with young people in general um, just you know the standard careers talk and engagement and such like but actually the more the more ten concrete offers of T-level placements and apprenticeships. And we've got, you know, over 99% of organisations in this area are SMEs. Over 43% of the engineering tech workforce work in SMEs, but they take a much, much smaller proportion of the apprentices. And looking at ways that we could facilitate that engagement, I think, could be a real opportunity if that offer was proportionate to their workforce and their future workforce needs actually the amount of capacity that would be generated for young people I think would be really important 
And by their very nature, that's often where the really innovative and entrepreneurial and startups um, opportunities are, which I think would be very engaging for them too. So a lot of challenges there. Um, just to conclude then, I want you to put a positive hat on and say, where do you think the UK could get to on these issues in five years time? We can have a plan. We absolutely, that is my number one. Let's get that STEM skills plan and the careers strategy to support it. So it's not just about the education, it's the careers education. Having that all in place and and sight of then what the delivery points are. When I'm, when I'm feeling in life that things are a bit much, I'm someone who's like, I just need a plan and to know that if I hit these things by this point, it's all going to be okay. And that's what I would love to see top of the pile. And actually in a five year span, we can be really some way into addressing those needs. We can certainly have done a lot in um, the landing of the T levels whilst making sure that everyone has the vocational opportunities that they need um, aside from apprenticeships. And I really hope that our understanding does unleash some new ideas for how we can really build up that capacity and opportunity for people. Fantastic. That's a really positive note to finish on. We'll come back and ask you in five years time how you think yes. it's all gone. <laughs> but for the moment, Dr. Hilary Leavers, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Dr. Hilary Leavers, Chief Executive of Engineering UK. On the 22nd of February 2023, the Foundation for Science and Technology will be hosting an event on technical education. Details of that event, which is free to attend either in person or online, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk forward slash events. Also on our website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, journals, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.